I don't know about you, but I feel summer coming on big time, and I'm excited about it. And then one of the reasons I'm excited about it is that means there's going to be barbecues on Wednesday nights for assembly and barbecues for Sunday nights for assembly. And we're going to start it off this uh, May 30th, Sunday night. At uh, What time do you want us, all want us to be there? What time do you want us to be there Sunday night on May 30th? 4.30 for dinner? Okay, 4.30 for dinner on May 30th. That is obviously Memorial Day weekend. And so uh, we'll have dinner together, and then we're going to have a little bit of lesson and a little bit of of, uh, Lord's Supper. And so it should be a great family time together. So that's the beginning, of course, this weekend. The Memorial Day weekend is the beginning of summer. And uh, I appreciate the Kirkpatricks for opening their home uh, the last several years to do that. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. I know it takes a little bit of work to get everything just right, so we'll be looking forward to that. So Ladies Coast Weekend is coming up this weekend. Let's do pray for uh, Traveling Mercies for all the ladies going over and for the fun time they're going to have and also, too, for the teaching and the lessons and the encouragement and fellowship. And uh, also, too, this coming Wednesday uh, at, at 5.30, 6 o'clock, we're going to be meeting over at Tamaris for uh, this week's or this month's fellowship dinner potluck dinner at Tamaris Wednesday uh, between 5.36 is when we'll start eating and then we'll have a little preaching after that is done and uh, G4 Summit's coming up as well so please make sure that you get that on your calendar if you're a you're a guy we have several people coming from out of state pretty excited about that uh, that have confirmed so it should be a great year so are there any other announcements I might have missed I don't see any singing happy birthday to anybody all right so we only have one word of encouragement today. Well, on a little purple slip anyway. Holly Ewing, thank you for being an excellent helper in Bible class. You have great ideas and great suggestions. And I, you know who that's from, right? <laughs> hey, Tamara, you are encouraging and you're just super amazing lady. So thank you so much awesome. All right, well, let's grab our uh, lesson sheets and get right to it uh, this morning. If you have your lesson sheet in front of you, family leadership for perseverance. And uh, last week we talked about how amazing moms are and how important moms are. Uh, Really, they're the heart of the family. And so, uh, so deeply thankful for the leadership that these great, awesome, faithful women of God provide. But you know, there's family leadership also in the church. And we talked about how the older women are to teach the younger women, but also too in the church family, in God's family, there's to be leadership as well. And so we're going to be talking about that this morning. So the title of the lesson, Family Leadership for Perseverance. And we're turning to the book of Numbers in chapter 27. This is a great passage of scripture in regards to Joshua being given the mantle of leadership after Moses finds out that he will not be going into the promised land. And so he basically transfers the mantle of leadership from God's design to Joshua. And so Numbers chapter 27, we're going to begin there in verse 15 this morning to start out. Then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in 
so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the, the priest and before all the congregation, and commission him in their sight. You shall put some of your authority on him, in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his command they shall go out, and at his command they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before the congregation. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. And I'd like you to turn to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. We're going to look at the New Testament in regards to the importance of family leadership. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning there in verse 11. 11 through 13. Ephesians 4, beginning there in verse 11. And notice it starts this way. And he, notice he is capitalized. If you take a look in the context, that's talking about Jesus. Jesus gave gifts. He says, and he, Jesus, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the blessing of your word. And we are thankful, dear Heavenly Father, that your word shows that it's so important for the mantle of leadership to be transferred to others that will carry on the work. And Father, we see Moses, a man, a great, humble, and faithful man that served you for 120 years, Father, and Lord, uh, what a great man he was. And Lord, at the time that uh, he was to die, he uh, laid his hands on Joshua. And through your direction, uh, he was uh, basically passing on the mantle of leadership. And Father, again, we see in the scriptures in the book of Ephesians that you've set aside certain individuals uh, to be those who would lead the congregations. Specifically, that they would teach and guide give the example and raise people up so that they would come to the full measure of the stature which belongs to Christ. A unity in the faith. And of course, the faith, Father, we know, is the faith of Christ that we're to possess. And so we're thankful, Father, for your word. And we ask this morning as we look at the two points about biblical leadership for the family of God and how to commission those people, we'd recognize that the time has come that the Pleasant Hill Church of Christ set men aside who've proved themselves over the many years as being great teachers and preachers to be those who would continue the work if you were to call me home. And so, Father, I ask that you would grant that we would do that this morning and then next week that we would actually set those men aside. Now, Father, we're thankful for your word and its instruction on how we are to do that. So I pray that we would all listen carefully and examine the word, Father, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
November was a huge month for me. I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. And so uh, I was excited to go hunting with John West down at their property, elk hunting, and we had a great time. And we ran around his ranch twice and didn't see anything. And uh, he had heard from a neighbor that the elk were moving on to their ranch. And so we jumped back in the truck after a late lunch and we took off. And it had rained quite substantially the day before. And as some of you know, uh, we took a shortcut. The shortcut ended up being a very long cut. Uh, the truck rolled. And uh, I'll tell you, when that truck rolled, I came to a conclusion. Make a memo of this. You only need to roll in a truck once to know that you never want to do that again. And yet, you know, the interesting thing was, is when I was rolling, there wasn't anything I could do. It was really a total place of helplessness. You know, gravity had taken control, and all the stuff flying around in the cab had taken control, and my body was at the will of gravity and, you know, the rotations of the truck. And uh, I just briefly said, Lord, help me. And uh, three rolls later, we hit, a, we hit a tree. And after that experience, as after I kind of the adrenaline kind of, ooh, kind of came down, I realized, you know what, if I would have died, we've talked about having some men who would take over in my absence. Well, I want to make that public, and I want to do it according to the Word of God. So we're going to do that next week. And so it's important for us to understand how does God want us to pass on the mantle of leadership. Now, I'm not saying that I'm looking to go roll in a truck next week or the week after or whatever. I'm not looking forward to doing that. I'm not going to rush God's program. And so as long as he gives me breath, I want to keep preaching and teaching. And uh, in fact, I've joked with some people recently, I want to I want to die not with my boots on, but a Bible in my hand giving a lesson. Now, that'd be kind of sad for the people in the audience doing the lesson, but it'd be kind of cool, you know, go out with your spiritual boots on. And so, uh, not that we're trying to rush anything, but I want to make sure if the Lord's plan is to take graduate me a little bit earlier than I would hope that he would, that uh, the church will continue to move forward uh, just without even just a little uh, blink of an eye. And uh, I hope it's, it's when I go that it's a party and not a somber thing because, man, I'm gone on to glory. And as much as we miss Mike Harbor, uh, and that's one of the other catalysts for me to really get serious about this. Um, you know what? I, I love Mike. I miss Mike. He's such an awesome man. Notice he was an awesome man. He is an awesome man. And I'm going to see him again. So it's important for us to understand that it's just a we'll see you later kind of thing. And so it's important then that we continue in the work of the business of building the church and driving it forward. So let's look at the scriptures this morning. The very first point, point number one, is the purpose of leadership to persevere. We see Moses handing off the leadership by God's design, and we see Jesus handing off the leadership by his father's design. So let's go back to the book of Leviticus in chapter 10 and take a look at another passage of leadership. That's very important in the context of the church. And as we look back, please recognize that Old Testament uh, oftentimes is, is New Testament concealed. So as we look at the priesthood here, there is some great and beautiful truths that we can apply to the priests in uh, the church of the living God. So Leviticus chapter 10 and beginning, if you would, uh, with me. It'd be nice if I were in Leviticus and not Numbers. That would help a little bit. 
<laughs> uh, of course. Leviticus in chapter 10, beginning at verse 8. Notice it says, The Lord then spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, and between the unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. Now it's important that these priests were actually to do two very important things in their positions of leadership. Number one, they were to live a life example before the congregation in such a way that they could go, you know, I can follow that guy and I'm going to get to heaven. But also, too, they were supposed to actually teach the statutes, the word of God as well. So in deed and in word, they are supposed to lead. And we know that's also found in the New Testament. We're going to look at an example of that here in just a minute. And so now let's take a look at uh, Chronicles chapter 15. Now notice that's a, a little side note. It does talk about teaching priests, which I thought was rather interesting, again, from an Old Testament perspective. Just recently, I discovered this, and uh, some of you get a memo. Uh, I send a little word of encouragement uh, every couple days in the morning, and I, I did one on uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 15. Wow, what a great, what a great chapter. I want to read the first few verses here. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came on uh, uh, Azariah, the son of uh, Odid, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, uh, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now look at verse 3. For many days Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest, and without law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel, and they sought him, and he let them find him, in whose times uh, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For many disturbances and afflictions, uh, all inhabitants of the land. Why? Because they didn't have a teaching priest. They didn't, they weren't consistently being taught the ways of the Lord, nor being called back to God. Take a look. I love this verse two. He went out to meet Asa and said, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, you will, he will forsake you. Look, it's important for us to be individually seeking the Lord, individually reading his word, individually developing that relationship. But here it says in verse three, in those days when there was confusion, there were no teaching priests. Priests need to teach both in word and deed. Now, if you understand the scriptures, we are all priests, all called to serve. Amen? And we should live a life example before everybody. When they see us, they should see Christ Jesus. And so it's important for us to recognize these two things about teaching and leading. One, you have to have uh, an excellent life. And number two, you have to have teaching that's building up and encouraging. Now, I want to take a look at Numbers 27 once again. 
Numbers chapter 27. Again, this is where uh, Moses uh, commissions Joshua. So Numbers chapter 27. And listen once again to what Joshua is supposed to do. And I want to pick it up there in, in uh, verse 20. You shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Moreover, he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, they will go out and at his command, they shall come in, both he and the sons of Israel with him, even all the congregation of Israel. There's this great relationship between the priest and Joshua the leader in that Joshua speaks or is to call upon the Lord through the priest and the priest is going to answer him in regards to the Lord's judgment. Do you remember when David, would, before he'd go to war, what would he do consistently? He would pray to God. How do you want me to attack these guys? Should I go up? Should I wait? Sometimes he says, go straight forward. Sometimes he goes and meets them around the balsam trees and wait till you hear the marching in the balsam trees. You see, we see that there is this, this great relationship between leaders in the context of Israel. And notice Moses is giving some of his authority. That's delegated authority. Moses didn't have any authority in and of himself. His authority was given to him by God. And therefore, Moses, as the leader at that time, God told him to commission Joshua to be the one to follow in his footsteps. Now you look at Joshua's life. What a powerful man, a faithful man of God. Study the life of Joshua. Phenomenal in his life deeds, also phenomenal in his faithfulness to God. Now, now let's take a look at Ephesians and chapter 4. Let's go to the New Testament now. Just as God spoke to Moses about Joshua, so Jesus gives some to be leaders in the context of the body of Christ the family of God. And so in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we actually see that uh, being spoken. Now, I want to read a little bit bigger passage here in regards to uh, the book of Ephesians. I want to start there up in chapter 4 and verse 1. Listen carefully what life is to be like in the context of the church body. Listen very carefully. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of of the calling with which you have been called. That's so important. We have it up here. Ken Wybert did such a great job in this visual. And so it's important for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That's not just for the leadership. That's for everyone. But the leadership is to call people to walk in a manner worthy. They need to walk in a manner worthy and they need to call people to walk in a manner that's worthy. And so as we take a look at this, notice what it says here. It says, with all humility, this is how we're to walk, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Who should exemplify those examples most in the body? In the family, mom and dad should. In the body of Christ, the elders, the evangelists, the teachers should. And so that's examples of the character of the man that would lead or the character of the woman as the older woman teaching the younger women. 
But look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called into one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. You see that the teaching needs to be consistent with the scriptures. There's one faith. Not a multitudes of faith. And it's not the faith of John Calvin. It's not the faith of Martin Luther. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. That's the faith we're to possess. And when we look into the scriptures and we listen to the call of the scriptures, we're being called to the life of Christ. Angie just recently got really excited and she memorized a passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any person be in Christ, they're a new creature, a new creation. Old things passed away, new things have come. Amen? And then it goes on to say, that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. Now it's so important for us to recognize old things have passed away, new things have come. The old things that passed away are the old stinking thinking and the rotten way of living. That's what's passed away. Being transformed in the by the renewing of our minds, we begin to live the very life of Christ. The, by the very standard. Because if you have the spirit of Christ in you, you now can be compassionate as Christ is compassionate. Patient as Christ is patient. That's why a mature man is the one that should be placed in the leadership. The one who has actually lived the life and you've seen it over and over and over again. But now jump down to verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave some as apostles and, and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. What faith? The faith of Jesus Christ. If you possess the faith of Jesus Christ, you'll live like Christ in this world. Does the Bible say that Jesus is the light of the world? Does the Bible say that anywhere? It says that more than one place. It says it in the Gospel of John in chapter 12. He clearly says that he's the light of the world. Does the Bible also say that you are the light of the world, Christian? Does the Bible say that? Did King Jesus say that about you? We need people who are going to call you to that truth. If you are the light of the world, you can manifest the patience of Jesus Christ, even with the most difficult people. You can be humble as Jesus Christ was humble, willing to sacrifice himself even for those who were killing him. You see, it's powerful us to recognize that it's not about coming to a building and sitting in a chair and being a spectator. I sometimes am a spectacle. I know that's true. But we are to be participatory and the leaders need to teach both in word and deed how to live like Christ and not just teach doctrine. Doctrine's the beginning. But I know people that know doctrine perfectly and yet they have zero compassion or zero patience on people and like to criticize when people don't make the grade according to their understanding. Like you were talking about, about the law. You see, we need to recognize and understand men who are living the life of Christ. That's what we're called to. And so as we continue to take a look at this, we need to look at, well, there it says apostles and prophets, evangelists and, and pastors and teachers to equip the saints. 
So they're to equip the saints through teaching, both in word and deed. Now let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We see a charge here to this young man, Timothy, and it tells us the giftedness that he has been given by the Lord, recognized by the eldership. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is Paul talking to Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in according to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The ministry of evangelism. Timothy was actually given the gift of being an evangelist by God. Wasn't Joshua given the gift of being a leader for the nation of Israel by God, but he had spoken it through Moses? You see, we need to recognize that God is the one that raises up a man so that he is living the life of an elder. Raises up a man who's living the life as a good teacher, as Jesus was a good teacher. Or raising up a man who's living the life of an evangelist whose focus is on winning a soul to Christ. How important that is, both by life and by word. Timothy was an evangelist. If you want to go to Acts 21 and verse 8, it talks about Philip the evangelist. And Philip lived in the, the city of Caesarea, and he worked there, and he lived there, and he served there, and he had seven daughters. Powerful young ladies who were solid in the faith and understanding of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Please turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. You know, I always wondered what the apostle Paul was. We know he was called by Jesus Christ. We know he was called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, the big A. But notice, here he says he is called to be a gospel preacher, verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our, the salvation has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel, for which I, for which, for the gospel, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. A preacher there is a gospel proclaimer, better known as an evangelist. The apostle there, better known as a missionary. And the teacher there, better known as one that works within the community of Christ to build that community. You know, he spent three years in Ephesus building that community. He had converted a bunch of folks, and he was still going out and rescuing souls, but he was building them. Look at Acts 20. Every day, day and night, for a period of three years, he taught in their homes and publicly. And so not only was he preaching the gospel that people might be saved, but he was in their homes and working diligently, teaching and building, teaching and building. You see, that's the picture I got when I started 
You know, I know that uh, when I first learned, there were several preachers that told me a whole bunch of stuff and I could never find it in the Bible. But making house calls with people and discipling them where it's most comfortable for them, that's how I've operated because I see it there in Acts 20. The Apostle Paul being a good teacher. So notice it says he is a preacher. He is an apostle, which means an ambassador sent out. And he is a teacher. And so he, like Timothy was preaching the gospel. Look at 1 Peter 5. Here's another passage about leadership in Christ's church. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning there in verse 1, the apostle Peter, big A, called by Jesus Christ, was also an elder in the church. It actually says it here. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder, and witness of the suffering of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory to be revealed. Shepherd, that word shepherd is poimen or pastor, the flock of God among you. So an elder and a pastor are the same thing. A pastor is not an evangelist. A pastor is an elder. He's feeding, 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 building, building, building in the local congregation, guarding, 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 living the life example for the congregation. And you can find that in 1 Timothy in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It clearly teaches that. Also, Acts chapter 20. Begin there in verse 17 and read all the way down to the close of that chapter. Paul talks about the critical nature of eldership and what they're supposed to do. But here we see, as we continue to read on, shepherd, pastor the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. In other words, with an attitude of I want to rather than I have to. I'm, I'm being made to. According to the will of God, going back to the scriptural standard and not for sordid gain. Did you know you're supposed to pay elders? That's what it says in, in 1 Timothy and we'll take a look there a little bit later. And it says not for sordid gain, not for money. You're not doing it for money, but with eagerness. You have a great desire to build the church and teach and live the life example and mentor, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving, listen, proving to be examples among them. So that people could look at an elder and go, okay, if I follow that guy's life, I'm going to have a, a, a solid family, I'm going to have a solid ministry, and I'm going to get to heaven, and I can follow that guy. So it's important for us to recognize that there are leaders in the context of the church, but again, it comes down to life example and teaching. If you go back and take a look at the example of an elder, if an elder's out of control and gets angry very easily or cuts people down in criticism, that guy is not elder material. You go back and look at the example. That guy may know everything about the Bible, but he surely isn't living like Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to see life example, teaching, teaching, teaching God's will. Both are very important. Finally, let's take a look at James in chapter 3 and verse 1. James chapter 3 and verse 1. Jesus gave some as evangelists, some as pastors, and also teachers. Look at James chapter 1. Interesting statement here. Excuse me, James chapter 3 and verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. 
I've had a conflict with that for a long time. Because in Hebrews in chapter 6, or excuse me, Hebrews in chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, down through verse 14, and this is one of, of Jeff's favorite passages, it says that all Christians should be able to teach the elementary truths about Christ. It doesn't say that you're a commissioned teacher, but it does say you should be able to teach the basic elementary principles about the Christ. So if you do not know what the seven-part gospel is and how to obey it, you're coming up a little bit short. If you're a Christian, you should know that because that's a part of the elementary teachings. So it's important for us to recognize and understand that when he says, let not many of you become teachers, he's talking about an ordained commissioned ministry in service to the church. Well, let's, let's go on and prove that. Take a look with me at Acts chapter 13. In the book of Acts chapter 13, we see Paul and Silas being commissioned to the work of being apostles, uh, missionaries, as it were. And so if we go back to the book of Acts in chapter uh, 13, too many passages in the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 13, I want to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Listen very carefully. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them out. Now notice, the leadership group there was composed of New Testament prophets and teachers. We don't see an evangelist there, and we don't see a, an elder or a pastor there. We see prophet or prophets and teachers. Now, which was Paul and which was Barnabas? I don't know. But we do know they had hands laid on them, commissioning them to go out and be missionaries. And they did a phenomenal job, didn't they? When they came back to report all the churches they had established. Well, notice what the Apostle Paul was commissioned to do back in 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. He was commissioned to be a gospel preacher, an apostle, little a, missionary, and teacher. Remember, he stayed in Ephesus for three years, teaching, preaching, teaching, preaching, teaching, preaching, building that congregation. So we see, in fact, that the apostle Paul had hands of leadership laid on him, but the leaders at that time were New Testament prophets and teachers. We don't see an evangelist and we don't see an elder. And so I believe that the teacher is a ministry that is commissioned for a man to work in. And so take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's get the bigger picture here. 2 Timothy chapter 1 to get the understanding. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And take a look at verses 8 down through verse 11. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 through 11. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, 
but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who was who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. In other words, the plan to be a new creation was designed before creation even was established. We're supposed to be new creations and that the leadership is supposed to teach us how to do that. And then it goes on and says in verse 10, but now has been revealed, the salvation has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which, or for the gospel, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. I believe on that day, God called Saul to be that preacher, that apostle, and that teacher. Now we know that he was called by Jesus Christ as one of the big A apostles, and he was ministered to by way of revelation uh, by Jesus Christ for three years in the desert. We know that as well. This is something else. This is being ordained by the leadership in a, a congregation. Notice teachers and prophets. So it's important for us to recognize that these men were called because they had a life worthy of example and they had teaching the will of God, literally, the faith of Christ. Teaching the faith of Christ. What does the faith of Christ look like? It looks like compassion. It looks like patience. It looks like humility. It looks like gentleness. All of those are character qualities we are all called to possess. These men should model those so that we can look to them and see what it looks like. And so next week, we're going to finish this lesson. But I want you to understand as we finish this lesson, I want you to take a look at Acts 13 as the standard. Look once again at Acts 13. What does it say there that we need to do as a congregation? Acts chapter 13. Now there were those at Antioch in the church that were there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now if we go back and look at Acts chapter 6, there was a crisis in the church. The crisis in the church that there was a division between two groups of people. Widows, some who were Hellenistic Jews, not born properly in the right place. And then we had the, the true Jews right there in Judea. Notice, let's pick it up in chapter 6 and verse 1. The same exact thing happened, and there were seven men that were selected to serve tables so that nobody was neglected and there could be no division in the body. These people weren't teaching. They were administering food to widows. But notice what they had to do, who they had to be, and then what the congregation did. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose 
on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve, the twelve apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found in approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Now notice there was prayer and fasting for them. Prayer and fasting for these seven people who are going to be serving the administration of tables. Notice the character of those men, full of the Holy Spirit. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. Love. What's the second fruit of the Spirit? Joy. Joy. What's the third fruit of the Spirit? Peace, patience, kindness, and on it goes. You see, these men needed to be men of great reputation, men of integrity that make good choices. And they were put in the charge of serving tables. Why? Because they needed to work with these gals and these people that were actually tearing the church apart. Men of integrity. But now that the church is established, we have evangelists, we have teachers, and we have elders. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The three men that I believe when I look at these scriptures who have proved it year after year after year after year, after challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge, these three men have stood and continued to preach the faith of Christ. And they've lived the faith of Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray and fast for Kirk Parks. I'm going to ask you to pray and fast for Jeff. I'm going to ask you to pray and fast for Brian. If you have an accusation against any of those men, I want you to come talk to me. But you have better been around a long time. You've better been around a long time and know how these men have responded during some of the most difficult and challenging times that this congregation has experienced. I've talked before about these men. If I were to die, I even said it right after I got back that first Sunday after my uh, rollover. I said, hey, this is how it's going to be if I don't if I don't make it to the next Lord's Day. These guys will take the charge. And I talked about what they would be doing in regards to that charge. We're going to bring that up next week as we would commission them to the work of service here in this body of Christ. So that if the Lord decides to take me home after next Sunday, no problem. We're moving on to glory. And these men will teach as they have continued to teach the faith of Christ, the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so if you have any questions or any concerns, you need to talk to me after the assembly. That would be fantastic. Or call me up and we will get together and do study. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, 
how important it is as we look into the scriptures and we see you speaking to Moses to make sure that he would delegate some of the authority that he had to Joshua so that Joshua would continue to lead your people into the promised land. You know, the promised land really is a life as a new creation, a life as a Christian living the abundant life, the life that Jesus called us to in this life and, of course, uh, as we transition into heaven. Uh, Father, we need to look to men who are solid in their faith, solid in their teaching, and solid in their lives, who are not easily shaken, who are patient, who are joyful, who are humble, who do not go to the judging and the criticizing, but are always concerned about being forbearing and compassionate. Father, my prayer is is that as we would pray and fast this coming week for these men, that you would richly bless them as you would grant to them uh, and delegate to them the authority uh, to continue to move the church forward, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand and get all excited. What did Jesus say? He said to go. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is still the king of kings. King of kings. All right. See you next week. Remember, fasting and praying. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.